Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Long Lost Heroes podcast. I'm AJ. And I'm Frank. And we're here to do kind of a brand new uh, style of episode. Not entirely new for the podcast, but new in the general idea of something Frank and I have been kicking around. Uh, you've seen the thumbnail. You've clicked on the episode. What are we listening to us talk about today? Days of Future Past, the X-Men film from 2014. Uh, Frank um, yeah. and I have been kind of discussing for a while after doing James Bond last year and, and what we were going to be doing uh, next for the podcast, some stuff that we'd like to do. And one of the places that we keep coming back to are all the films that kind of came out from, let's say, the postmodern superhero era, which would be 2008 on, that we've never really covered. And how can we go back and take a look at some films that – uh, we've never really um, talked about before on the podcast, but also we, in franchises we've already kind of discussed with uh, Logan and uh, Dark Phoenix. So yeah, here we are back in the 20th century Fox universe, what we thought was the pinnacle of the superhero team-up uh, movies when it first came out in 2000s. I mean, we'd be remiss to not kind of touch upon what the bigger X-Men is, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think... Like you were saying, the movies that we were talking about, like the X-Men, um, MCU, DC, all the stuff in that time period, like you said, 2008 to when we started the podcast in 2017, like that's why we started the podcast, because you and I- Of those things, are, yeah. We're always talking about it, and we're like, we need to get our thoughts down on audio. So, um, yeah, I mean, th this one, and I think the way we're going to approach this project is- is try to tie it into what else is happening in in pop culture right now, right? So, like as you know, if you've been watching, WandaVision is going on. Uh, Indeed, doo doo being We've released, been... and um, I, I think it's hard to say that you can't not spoil it at this point, right? Like if you've watched WandaVision, there's a specific thing that happens. Oh, there's a well, specific reason why we were watching this movie. Spoilers for WandaVision. Oh, man. Why do we always have to? Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, spoilers for WandaVision in three, two, one. Uh, the ending of this episode of the, the most recent episode star, uh, features Evan Peters um, as Pietro. And we have this beautiful audio description from Disney saying, you know, Pietro from the X-Men movies which is a very big, you know, awkward <laughs> thing to deal with while we don't know his context in the universe. Yeah. Uh, and we just, we loved him so hard, and there's so much love going out for Evan Peters uh, uh, playing this character. We would figured we'd take a look back at his origination of this role. Yeah. And so because of that, um, throughout the rest of, I don't know if we're going to have a series or whatever it is, but 2021, the project that we will embark on is to try to pick back through all these movies that we haven't talked about on the podcast yet and provide new context with, uh, with the current day. And, um, so yeah, days of future past, like as much as it is, it is about, uh, having the origin of Pietro and, or Peter, uh, I guess, Maximoff in, in that universe. Um, it's, it's very much a story based on the comic books, um, centered around Wolverine this time, um, as in always. In the comics, it's Kitty Pride, right? Yes, it's Kitty Pride, um, which she has a, a large role here, um, and then, but also 
seeing the the two sides of um, Professor X and Magneto from the past and the future, and and it's it's really a great way, um, in a way that they could bridge and, and like actually pass the torch, right? Indeed, um, and it, it really is. This movie is the linchpin of what Fox was able to do with their run of X-Men films. Um, I think before this um, and up until this point, maybe you could say arguably with Logan, although we had known that was kind of in development for a long time. uh, This is really where Fox had complete control. I think after, you know, the acquisition um, by uh, Disney, uh, $71.2 billion. Uh, Disney kind of affected how Dark Phoenix was being released, being released as we know, with Captain Marvel, who's a, kind of a similar character. And I think that they that movie wasn't kind of given the send-off that it kind of deserved. And if you love X-Men and you love um, who is the... Uh, who's playing her and who's Jean Grey in the new movies? Oh, um, Sophie Turner. If you love Sophie Turner, great for you. Go and check out those films. Uh, she's not my Jean Grey. (laughs) And I love the way that this movie ends. Mm -hmm. And it just feels very, uh, central to the member berries of, you know, the 20th century Fox X-Men run. Right. Cause at this point, um, we're already, like 14 years removed from the original. And so there's a, an, an immense nostalgia for those movies. Um, and like they had to figure out how to continue to move forward. Um, obviously they, this is more, more or less a sequel to first class, which came out in 2011. Um, Definitely. but because, because of how much time is spent in, in the seventies, uh, but it also really does work as a um, like a coda to the original series, like the, the, I guess the original trilogy of X Men movies. If you were unhappy with the way that Last Stand ended, you're gonna go out of D- Days of Future Past, loving life and feeling good about where your X Men characters ended up. Right. Um, it also completely reboots things, like it, it changes the timeline. So totally, and now there's new characters. They they recast a lot of people after this movie, uh, and you know something that is interesting. We were talking a little bit about this, um, you know, uh, a couple days ago or yesterday, is that you know the first X Men is really the first you know superhero team up movie where you're having groups of super powered individuals good guys fighting super villain bad guys in a level that felt real and grounded in the 1999 movie and there's just i have so much nostalgia for that i remember seeing it in theaters uh with my dad and my brothers um and that, that was the first dvd that i like remember watching over and over again like because it was our first dvd player and we had the dvd and i was just like what else am I going to watch? I want to watch DVDs. It's a cool new technology. And I just, it was a cool DVD box. It was a cool DVD box. And I, I, yeah, that, that thing got a lot of mileage. (laughs) Um, Um, yeah, it was, it was super exciting and fun and it was so cool. I remember there was a great doc on that DVD with Stan Lee and, you know, kind of talking about how at a certain point he kind of created the X-Men as mutants because he was kind of tired of making up reasons to have, people that have superpowers yeah and they end up kind of 
if you know the comic history of X-Men, you know, they kind of start in the 60s as kind of a, you know, a similar group to the Avengers, but different powers. Um, but they don't really kind of pick up this alternative and kind of new age, uh, um, you know, fandom until kind of the 80s and, and the 90s where you're they do a lot of different cool runs. And uh, yeah. I believe this is where um, the Days of Future Past run comes from, which is, uh, I think, an 80s comic book series, right? Yeah. Yes, it is. Um, as is Dark Phoenix, um, which, you know, is another iconic one. But I, I feel like the fans were super excited when when they announced that this was going to be uh, a series that they were going to tackle on film. And, you know, I haven't read it, which is shame on me, but I feel like this movie um, does justice to like the story in the best way it can in, in the, the way that the universe has already been set up. Um, and I feel like they focus on the right elements. Like I, I really, really enjoy this movie. It's, it's Oh, th I think something that uh, should be said before we kind of get into the meat of it here is um, they put a lot of effort into making this just a good movie. Yeah. And, and that is really there. Um, Brian Singer is a very controversial director. Um, and you know, we could talk about his exploits and, you know, his whole shit some other time. Um, he's not, you know, probably the greatest dude, but, uh, this movie and the way that Kinberg writes it and, and, you know, we know Kinberg to kind of have, uh, <laughs> ups and downs, we could say, for sure. uh, <laughs> you know, this, this rocks and it, this plays like, uh, true X-Men power chords where you feel the excitement again and, I I think this is, you know, definitely um, in the top three, if not the top, you know, X-Men offerings you can watch uh, in the home theater, you know, uh, today. And and I highly recommend, you know, if you haven't watched this movie recently, go pick it up. T take a look at it. It's on Disney Plus right now streaming in 4K. You don't even have to buy the disc, um, which is super nice. Uh, and... You know, I think we can kind of start off um, here. Uh, before we watch this, I was really itching to watch the first um, X-Men movie. And I've also been doing this thing where if I don't watch something with my wife directly, I'll kind of stop and start it and come and go to it over maybe the course of a week. Yeah. So I started the first X-Men and I was like, oh, shit, this is great. And you mentioned how like dark this movie is. That movie starts in a fucking concentration camp. It's true. <laughs> like, you know, like <laughs> that you that's there's many dark places in the world. That's a that's the darkest yeah. place, you know? I, I actually rewatched this one, I think when it came to Disney Plus, whenever that uh, was last cool. year. Um I, and you know, I, it was one of those that like again, I, I love it so much and have a lot of nostalgia for, but it's like, yeah, I just feel like putting it on. I you know, paid as much attention as I wanted to. Um so we'll talk about that another time, but what what the kernel of that is I only watched up until about uh the scene where um they capture um they try to capture Wolverine and Rogue on the highway and then they and Storm they go with Storm and Cyclops. Uh yeah. and you see uh you know Hugh Jackman's first portrayal of Wolverine um in the fighting cage 
And I got to say, like, it's kind of crazy how Wolverine gets, like, more and more crazy buff over time. He looks insane in Days of Future Past. <laughs> it's crazy. He's an, like, he's an athlete. Like, he's an athletic level actor. Like, the shape that he would put himself through for each of these portrayals is obscene. Yeah. And he looks, he looks awesome. Like, it's not, I'm not taking anything away from it, but, like, holy shit. <laughs> like... <laughs> You do not want to be in the same room with this guy. Uh, no, and there was also major controversy um, back in the beginning days, like before even the internet, when they cast um, Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, that people weren't really excited about him because here's like this Broadway dude, he's six foot two, yeah, um, playing Wolverine, and people were like, "Yo, let's get Bob Hoskins or like fucking Danny DeVito to be Wolverine," and they're like, "Oh no, no." And there was major people were upset that they were doing these black leather costumes. And then finally, when they saw the movie, everyone was like, oh, my God, it's so cool and awesome. Yeah. And, and, and we'll see what they end up doing um, on the MCU side. Like, I mean, they're going to have right. to bring uh, Logan in. And uh, yeah, maybe they cast somebody that's a little bit shorter. But like, maybe that's a good enough contrast to to what who Jackman did, because. It's so iconic at this point. Um, I mean, oh my God, I, oof, Hugh Jackman. I mean, <laughs> how lucky are we? Like he is, he is. I mean, it's him and Robert Downey Jr. You know, you could say Christian Bale. Christian Bale maybe had the most method of all the like major superhero acting roles, but I don't think that makes him necessarily the best. And I, you look at Hugh Jackman's legacy as Wolverine and. It's I also mean, the amount of time, right? Like he started, it, it was like 17 years of playing the role here. We're talking about, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Um, I guess it's 11 years. That's like a, it's a big, big gap. Um, and lots of films too, right? Like Christian Bale, it's only three movies. And while the dark Knight trilogy is iconic and we love it, um, We'll tease that for another time when we got to go cover that. <laughs> right, right, but, right. But, um, yeah, no, Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman. And, like, again, it's probably controversial. Like, if you don't – if you're a comic book purist, you're like, what? What, is, what are we doing here? Like, Wolverine shouldn't be the center of this story, blah, blah, blah. But, like, again, make a good He's movie. our guy. He's, he's the heart of this universe. Yeah. And without him – through, no, excuse me, through him, all the story kind of flows together. Like, that you start X-Men 2000 in the middle of his, you know, life. You're not, it's not an origin story. You're not learning about you know, exactly how he got here. Like, you're just learning about the birth of this team. It takes so long for us to really find out all the details of him. It's, yeah, which it is takes actually many movies. Many, many movies. And, like, arguably, like, we don't really fully understand him until the end. And uh... the super fun part of this movie, I think, when you start it is that like all really good X-Men movies, it starts with a voiceover from Sir Patrick Stewart. Oh, my God. Well, the music, too. Like, I, I love how they have the little, uh, they, like... we, we could talk about that. We could talk about that. But the, uh, you think the music is good? Well, I, what I like is how they have like the Fox fanfare, and then they have the, like da -da -da, like they should have leaned in harder yeah. to the X Men having a score. Yeah, that was like I guess before they thought that was super important, you know, because because in my mind they do have kind of an, an iconic score, but it's not really used in this movie too much. 
Yeah, that's true. They have like, it's used it's in, in the credits, but not in the movie. In the original, in the originals, it's probably there more. And like, I kind of wish they like when they made those. I, I wish they took more of a, a cue from um, the animated series, which I'm like in season three of. By the way, oh shit, <laughs> yeah, that would have been cool to have more rocking style instruments and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, Patrick Stewart back like. I've been watching so much fucking Star Trek and I've seen him so much this past year that he's a magnificent actor. He really is. And, and, and it's so amazing that, um, I think something that the X-Men franchise will have over most of the other franchises, the level of acting talent that they get, they get for these, you get for these movies is incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Like, like Sir Ian McKellen, Sir Patrick Stewart, Hugh Jackman, Michael Fassbender, like boom, that's all of our favorite dudes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I, I also feel like this movie is like the peak of Jennifer Lawrence too, right? Like, I think. Well, that's also something we could talk about too. Like, so you know, I forgot how much she's in this movie, yeah. and how important she is to the the story of this yeah, of this one plot. I mean, do we need to do the plot? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. You want to take a shot? Sure. Um, the year is 20 XXX. We don't know what it is. All the mutants and most of humanity are being killed by the Sentinels. Uh, Kitty Pride sends Wolverine's mind back in time to the 70s to stop Mystique from murdering Bolivar Trask, which set off a course of events for him to create the Sentinels in the first place to change the future and save mutant kind and humanity for good. <laughs> Very good. Very good, Frank. That was a, that was as good a take as anybody's going to get. Great. <laughs> that was good. It's hard, you know. I think the X-Men movies always tend to have a very complicated plot. Mm-hmm. That's why Logan works so good. Um, and, you know you kind of just have to kind of go along for the ride. The talky-talky part here in this movie, I think, is executed really well. Um, you get a nice expositional scene of looking at, you know, post-apocalyptic New York City and the the trauma that has gone on there, concentration camp-style mutant uh, abuse and terrors of the highest order. Then you kind of cut to a scene straight out of the original Terminator, uh, where they uncover this other X-Men guy, and then it cut to another base of younger X-Men, which we don't really get enough of, you know? Uh, that is something that I've heard in, is in some kind of director's cut or in deleted scenes that there's more to do with uh, Bishop and some of the other characters that are shown in the future. Well, and let me, while you, you mentioned that, this movie also has um, an alternate cut, the Rogue cut, which I've never watched. Um, Is that available for purchase and download? I don't know. Uh, something we should probably find out, but in Googling, wow. it's like it's like 17 additional minutes of footage. I mean, Rogue is not in this movie, like except for like a tag at the very end. She's there. Um, so there must have been some other plot, but like, I mean, the movie's already two hours and like 20-something minutes. Like, I do think adding that extra plot line might have been too much. 
I'm down for the extended cut. Give me three hours of, of <laughs> X-Men, man. I'll fucking Bilbo Baggins that shit. Come on, let's go. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. I don't know what, what the rogue cut entails, if there is more of a plot line with the other younger X-Men. Um, Cause they're all pretty cool. Like they've got, you know, their unique abilities. I think, um, there's a good highlight on Colossus and I think it's Sunspot, Warpath, Blink. Um, and then, I mean, Bobby Iceman has been around for a long time, but like it is, a I, like I was saying, it is kind of a dark way to start. And like, you're like, Oh my God, everybody's getting murdered. <laughs> but right. And then you kind of see how they're able to, you know, maneuver through time, which I think is done a very simple and very easy way they they show it, which is such an awesome thing. Yeah. Right? Like, most of the times in this kind of a movie, they're going to exposit this through dialogue, but they spend this first couple of minutes to kind of show you their strategy. Yeah. And then they're going to go have an entirely different scene with all of the OG dudes who have been all hanging out together. So, someplace on planet Earth, separate from these X-Men, is <laughs> Professor X... Magneto, Storm, and Wolverine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, wh- and what do they do all day? What is breakfast like at their house? You know what I mean? Right. Well, and it's also implied that at this point, the majority of the other X-Men from the other... Totally dead. ...are dead, which is very sad. Um, but, I mean, actually, who... I don't remember how Last Stand ed- ended, so... So Last Stand... <laughs> Last Stand... Who, who's dead? Is, is it Jean so, Grey and Scott so or both of them or not? My favorite part of this movie is that I do think it is a separate universe from the Last Stand universe because the Sentinels are never given enough. There is a Sentinel in Last Stand, like in the the what the danger room, but ultimately, like that's not the, it's the cartoon Sentinels and not like art the Sentinels we get in this film. Um, so like, I'm happy to like, accept that like whatever happened in last stand, like may not have concurrence with this movie, especially if rogue was, is in this movie heavily, like in a separate cut, because if she was in last stand, she gives up her powers and like, there's a lot of other shit going on in last stand that would have heavier implications Mm -hmm. than just rogue losing her powers. Well, and you know what, like that, that's another great point that this what what seems like on paper that this is the the linchpin of like where the the uh, universe is not the universe the timeline splits and it gets rebooted. There's also so many other instances where it's like, well, I don't know because like, what's going on with Logan? Is that taking place in this which reality? Is it the original timeline or the later timeline? So there well, may be multiple timelines that we're talking about. Yes. And, yeah. That's why they're calling it the multiverse. They're not they're not even talking about, you know, a parallel reality. It's not like one stop shop, you know, like it is the entirety of all of the other properties that have ever existed are about to come together. And you see castings for they're looking at Jessica Alba. They're looking at casting Chris Evans in two roles in in Doctor Strange. Oh, my God. Um, we know what that means. We're not going to spoil that for you if you don't, you fucks. Um, <laughs> but uh, what we're really here to talk about is that this is really kind of the best use of that multiverse kind of world where 
you know from the comics that there are many different you know storylines of different co- uh, comic book characters. So to spend time kind of retconning what's been going on while also not at the same time is is so awesome because you would think that this movie would have a ton of Jean Grey stuff and it really doesn't. Um, and that mostly happened in that earlier Wolverine movie if you if you watch it. But right. uh, you know he there's one scene with that and then they don't really talk about the rest of it. And, you know, to me, this happens years in the future in a different reality and that there's a, a beautiful little reality where a fam K. Jemson, my Jean Grey exists wonderfully with James Marsden and Kelsey Grammer and Patrick Stewart. And they all have a great time. And, you know, th- th- that's my home. Yeah. That's where I live. It's the end of Lord of the Rings where everyone's like going away to the, uh, what I don't remember what the, <laughs> the promised land. I can't remember. Uh, <laughs> Wherever. Um, yeah, no, it's the, it's the idyllic future that all the fans wanted for those characters. Um, and, and we get that. And for us to then believe that from that Logan happens, like, I don't think we want that. We want to think that they go off into the sunset and it's fine. And Logan, yeah, Logan's in, Logan the, is in its own other universe. Yeah. Like, and that's what they're going to show us. And I'm excited for that. And, I think all these characters, like, throughout this movie, like, they do prove that you can kind of accept that there are two Magnetos, there are two Pat- there are two Professor Xs, there's multiple, th- well, I guess there's two Mystique, but, you know, are we ever going to get J-Law back? I don't know. Would she, she be a returning I, person? Like I was saying before, I feel like this was her peak. Um, like, she was very involved at... Uh, in first class and she she was great in that movie but that was also like pre hunger games explosion um and then days of future past is like right in the thick of it and then she kind of became like a super huge movie star that and doesn't she kind of like hate this she she hates it well i mean you know if you're getting painted blue for several hours a day it probably sucks and like I think she's involved in apocalypse a, a good amount, but she's barely in Dark Phoenix. Like, and I don't know if that's so much because of the story that they wanted to tell, or because they're like, we gotta do something with you. If you don't want to be here, we gotta write you out. Like, um, I get that in 2011, like she wasn't the star that she would be at 2014. Like, there's there, that's a big gap. Like, she wins an Oscar in in after in 2014. Like. I I get that she goes kind of on a career wild spin, but like the other thing, like I don't necessarily feel terrible about is like, you kind of know from that, like the past role of Rebecca Romaine, you know, playing this character, like what kind of comes with the territory, but also the paycheck and the responsibility. Yeah. So I don't necessarily feel bad for her. My, my, problem with her in this movie and in the entirety of the franchise is that the other characters with their acting talent they bring something to it and i don't know if jennifer lawrence brings anything to this with her actual talent of being an actress and like they don't take any effort to make mystique or her version of mystique more like her you know what i mean like give her more attitude make her talk back more make her more of an advocate for herself you know like Get in the other movies, Mystique says absolutely nothing. Right. You know, yeah, she's just you know there. like in this, in these movies, she talks a lot, but it doesn't feel a lot of the times her delivery is just, I think, very flat in these films. Like, 
And especially in this one, she just feels like a cog in the wheel and she doesn't feel like the full fleshed out character that we know as Mystique. Maybe. And and maybe I got to go back to watch first class because I I feel like the heart of the story there, like the way where things get picked up in, in this movie is like you've seen her be pushed away and I feel like she's purposefully being cold and, uh, you know, it, it, like they say, it takes both um, Eric and Charles to like be there to, uh, you know, take her like off, off the ledge basically from like that dark path. Um, I, because eventually what we do know is that in this timeline, she becomes an X-Men or X-Man. Um, yeah. And she, you know, I like that they were able to kind of go in a new direction with kind of the trajectory of these characters from what we know in the old universe. And it definitely makes uh, the other movies, you know, they, they totally benefit from that. And, and we all kind of accepted it. I got to watch Apocalypse again. I haven't watched that piece of shit in a while. Um, but <laughs> what, what I like, think, yeah. <laughs> you know, what I really loved about Mystique in the first X-Men is first of all, like the power, like I think that's something that somebody like Rebecca Romaine who brought, brought a lot of power to uh, being that character and, and the way that that character uses her power. You know what I mean? Like when you see Mystique transform in the helicopter with the Senator guy and you're like, Oh shit. Like she's like totally in control and she's, you know, going to fuck this dude up. She could totally kill him if she wanted to. Um, I never feel that from J-Law in this movie. And you're like, oh, shit. Like, yeah, she's a threat, and she's about to go to the dark side. Um, but is she really going to go to the dark side? <laughs> I don't <laughs> you know. know. I, I, maybe I disagree with you a little bit. I think this one specifically, like, you get her doing all those those fight scenes, like, using her legs and everything. Like, she's dangerous. Like, she, even more than just being... Um, like the threat of her being able to change and, and appear as anyone and show up and look like the president or show up and, you know, be a secret service agent. Like that obviously is a huge danger to it, but like, I feel like her physical, I th- maybe that's it. I think she, her physical presence in this movie is good. I don't know if, if the acting level is as good as, as it could be. Um, and we're comparing her to a model Academy award winning actress who I love. <laughs> we're comparing her against a model and and a and a very good model but yeah you know All um, right. um but ultimately she is a a huge part of the plot um i i think we got to stop her from murdering uh Tyrion Lannister which was such a great i was like oh my god who's the bad guy in this <gasps> <laughs> peter dinklage um yeah again you know that's like right in the thick of game of thrones with him um but yeah like i think there's a lot of really cool philosophical i mean always in x-men philosophical arguments right right but like in this one in particular like there are so many there's uh professor x like having to talk to himself about you know hope and 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 not like shutting down his powers you have like him and and eric they're their conflict which is always fantastic like uh 
just the the idea. The chemistry on the two of them is <sighs> is so outstanding. The, and the plane, the plane sequence. Oh my god, it's so good. But you're so lucky because you have the the chemistry from both, from Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen, who we know, but also from you know we're maturing in this relationship with uh, Fassbender and McAvoy, and just like the 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 uh, the quartet of them, like they are so good. Yeah. When they have to play against their opposite, it, it those scenes you feel that you feel the um, the tension and the uh, the fundamental disagreements about how we should be doing shit. But also, I'm gonna kick your ass in chess, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love I love that by the end they're they're friends and like they right all, like the what is a. Uh, Magneto say it's like all those years spent fighting. I wish I could have a few of them back, right? Like they're they're brothers and and such and like we see that from like the origins in in um first class. Like they they were so close and but they had have these fundamental differences. But yeah, but man is is uh Michael Fassbender awesome as Magneto in this? Like he's so powerful, it's insane. <laughs> Like, okay, so <laughs> I I do I I I love him. I adore him. Really, I do. I wonder why he isn't in more shit recently. Like, I why hasn't he been in a Christopher Nolan movie? Um, but again, like Fassbender, something like I was kind of I thought was in this movie but wasn't was like a good Magneto and Wolverine fight. Um, thinking that like oh my god, like finally like. In this context, Wolverine is actually a good, you know, threat to Magneto. And then when you got, when I finally got to that scene, and I remember what happens to Logan, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, no, he gets fucking owned. <laughs> like, like it's it's not even it's not even fair. Like, yeah. like the the power, the way that Ma- Magneto uses his powers in this, his full awareness of what he can really do is unlike any of the other films. Yeah. You know, in the other films, he's sneaking around. <laughs> he's trying to do this. He tried to do that. In this movie, he's like, no, I'm going to lift a fucking stadium over the White House. No, I'm going to take these these train tracks and melt them down and make them into the skeleton of the Sentinels so I can control them. Unbelievable. <laughs> it's like, it's Unbelievable. crazy. Um, and like that writing, you know, this, that, that's the good Simon Kinberg writing that we want, right? It's like so complex and, um, because at at first we, we are with him and him and Charles are, are, are going to get like, they obviously, we haven't even talked about Quicksilver yet, which we can in a second, they break him out because they need his help. And at first they're on the same page, but then everything starts to unravel when they stop mystique from, from killing Trask. It's like, okay, now things are happening faster. We have to like change things because now we're also fighting against Eric. Like he's going rogue. Like this is, it's a very complex, uh, movie. Um, well that part I felt very good about because in so many times in a time travel movie, you see them correct the thing. Oh yeah. And then everything goes great or everything goes in a different direction. But in this movie, they do not really succeed. <laughs> you well, know, even in, in their Avengers, plan. in uh, Avengers Endgame, right? Like exactly, they, they, that's that's what has to happen. They have to to fail like at the mission that they're intending to do, and, and have to. Otherwise, there's no movie. 
<laughs> and it really it plays really nicely in the, in this film. I think that scene in Paris for that, you know, the, the Paris Peace Accords or uh, the Paris Peace Treaty for Vietnam in '73 is played really nicely. Uh, it's very, it's very exciting. It's tense. Um, I also think this movie does a great job of being a period piece and has a good reason for it. Whereas like Wonder Woman 1984 eh, didn't really, um, because like you feel, um, a, I feel like they did a great job with, um, the sets and the costumes and everything. And the majority of the movies set in that time, um, and, and it just feels good. And maybe that's like, I don't know, just part of like seeing Wolverine go back and, and like, wow, I lived through all this. This is crazy. But like the, the stuff, uh, like the way the American people were reacting to Vietnam and, and for them to then have this as a threat immediately following, like, yeah, it, you kind of make, it makes sense um, that, you know, I guess this is Nixon, right? That he's, yes. Uh, reacting the way he does and like um, the events kind of unfold the way they do. Uh, Cause yeah, I mean, if it was set in the modern era, I don't know if it would have been a, as effective. You disagree? Mm. I don't know. It, it... Period pieces are hard. I do think they are. They got to, I think that, I think why, that they right? get, you get more leeway the further you go back in certain respects in that you can kind of merge different things together and people will accept it. Whereas like, you know, disco wasn't really around in 1973. That was much later, you know? Yeah. But, uh, ultimately, you know, we'll buy into a seventies or a sixties things with a little bit more leeway on either end of the decade. Whereas the closer or the more memorable, the time period or the experience, like you want to get more and more accurate and I think I agree with you that this movie is a great period piece of the seventies with, uh, the juxtaposition of like wonder woman. But the one thing that kind of does take me out of, of, of this universe is how advanced the sentinels are in the seventies. Yeah, sure. And, and that is like the glaring thing about it is that everything else is kind of, kind of works. And even that they try to give them technology, that is, you know, it's like it looks like they have jets built into their chest when they fly and that, you know, they're built out of some kind of polymer. Um, I don't know. It, it, that That's the only part that that kind of falls apart. That's for me. true. Every, Although every, everything, everything else is, is really fun and they don't play it for tropes or for anything. They play it for the complication that it would be. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I'm trying to remember first class, and I'm trying to think of the technology they had. I'm tr- like, what kind of jet did they they fly around and and all that? But I don't know. I guess it's just like some of we've got to uh, just roll with that. It's a different universe, and that they're yeah, then, and it's like yeah, that they've got like these crappy TVs and shit. Like <laughs> yeah, you got to kind of you know with with everything there's a certain suspension of disbelief that you have to be giving into which we never really even talk about that could probably be a special episode of the podcast but like you know mutants and superpowers you mean <laughs> well just like the the entirety of how much we're going to allow a, a movie or a given piece of content to overwhelm your suspension of disbelief and to where do you cut that off you know like throughout this movie you know you're pushed with superheroes you're pushed with giant fighting robots you're pushed with 
uh, time travel. And it's like, well, where do you fall in all of the things that are going on simultaneously that you kind of lose it, you know? Um, and I think where this movie does kind of have a weird, wacky changeover and the plot kind of shifts is in that scene, in the, the Paris Accords, where you think everything's going to go one way and it doesn't. And Wolverine has this freak out during the time travel neural telepathy experience. And I think the movie kind of gets shaky for a couple of minutes. Yeah. Really, yeah. Where you're like, what's happening? Where are we going? He doesn't understand. How are we going to get him out of this? And then it sets up a new plot. And then you kind of know where they're going. Yeah. Because you've seen the trailer. And you know that Magneto has yet to appear in his full cool costume from that trailer. Where are we going to see that? Oh, shit. Okay. Um, And I love Magneto. I'm a very big fan of his, like, fundamentally. I don't know, um, you know, I I like Magneto with other characters. I would have liked to seen other supporting people show up or help him achieve his plot. I think that would have been... Well, helpful to the the problem is they kill off like so many of the characters off of his henchmen. Right? Yeah, it's like why why did they do that? I, I guess maybe they just had to thin out the cast, but yeah, it just so ultimately makes him just be as powerful as possible so he can do everything he wants by himself, right? Totally, <laughs> he doesn't need the henchmen to uh, to stop other people. Um, all right, so yeah, you're right. I think that they 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 start to take too many plots at once. Like they're tying back to X Men Origins Wolverine and like the the whole Wolverine series of um, the Weapon X stuff, and they're trying to you know with uh, Striker being there. It's like maybe all that wasn't super necessary, but I guess they wanted to to set Logan on on the right path um, for the for the timeline. But then again, like why they they've already changed the timeline <laughs> yeah it's, it's a so, little weird uh, okay so i think um we've talked we've we've talked at great length about kind of the ending and all of our heroes and, and we'll, we'll talk about them in, in another second but uh let's f- fast forward to this point if you want to talk about quicksilver <laughs> um <laughs> uh so evan peter's Evan Peters and Aaron Taylor Johnson are in a movie called Kick-Ass, which is a Mark Millar off-brand, you know, separate comic. Evan Peters is in Kick-Ass, too? I totally forgot yeah. about that. And this movie is pretty cool. It's it's darker. It's like a more reality-based weirdo superhero movie. Um, it has its own universe. It's fine. Go, go watch it. But uh, out of that, you know, they kind of launch these two different guys on these two different trajectories. And in 2014, from what we really do know from Fox is that they had to use Evan Peters. They had to use, excuse me, the the property of Quicksilver in one of their movies to kind of stake their claim against Marvel, who uh, Marvel Disney, who was about to do the same thing in Age of Ultron. So they were able to beat them out by about one year. And (laughs) I, I think something that, you know, to be said about going in this route is that he's certainly the more memorable Quicksilver. He certainly is. Um, but, you know, the reason why we haven't talked about him for, you know, 40 minutes of the podcast is that he's barely in it. 
and he's like integral yeah. to the plot for a moment and then they brush him to the side. I feel like it it almost was like an afterthought that like you were saying, oh shit, we have to integrate Quicksilver into a movie, otherwise we lose him completely. Um all right, let's throw him in here. <laughs> um Yeah. That's kind of how it felt. Um but like his introduction is great. Um just And like, his and his the whole sequence with them breaking into the Pentagon, going and meeting him for the first time is you're on your edge of your seat. You know what I mean? Like you can't wait to see what, what happens next. And, you know, something we mentioned on the most recent podcast too, is that the way they execute, um, Peter's, uh, speed skills, speed powers in, in this franchise is fun and interesting. And, you know, I think it is difficult to portray this kind of speedster power on film repetitively over and over again. Yeah. And they really do succeed um, in this movie by, first of all, giving him such great characterization in, we know he's a kleptomaniac, we know he likes Pong, we know he likes prog rock, <laughs> yeah. we know he, he dresses like a crazy person. He's like a teenager, uh, too, so you also get that he's a little uh, spontaneous and he's you know unpredictable and like you don't know what he's going to do and maybe not, totally. not like always the best thing um but right he's got he's a gray area person you know he's spray painted his leather jacket chrome like this guy's got his own thing going on which is something that was so missing from aaron taylor johnson's portrayal in ultron which we could talk about when we talk about ultron but uh you know just to contrast them here like i know what kind of music he listens to i know what kind of video games he plays i know how he talks like yeah. that other movie, like he's in that movie, sure, but we don't know anything about him. Nothing. And I mean, ultimately, the only reason we'd know anything about Wanda is because she's been in way more <laughs> after, you know, like, yeah, they, 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 and they lean into her in Age of Ultron more than they lean into Quicksilver. Like he's just there and he's going to do whatever his sister wants, basically. Um, but yeah, no, Quicksilver here, um, you've got some cool little nods, like, his like little sisters there. I mean, I guess in this universe they were going to imply that's Wanda. Right. Um, maybe, but even at this point, so we've seen the post credit scene in winter soldier walking into this movie. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> that's you know, true. <laughs> it's it, You know, it's just interesting that they're trying to do these kind of two different things. And um, one part succeeds and, you know, and it's kind of the two different divergent characters. What a blessing that that happened for them. And it wasn't two different competing Quicksilvers or two different competing Scarlet Witch. Uh, that was great. Yeah. It works out great for everybody right now. <laughs> uh, and, you know, uh, the the speed powers, if I couldn't have time in a bottle, oh, that is it. My God. Probably one of the best sequences in like the past 10 years, right? It's iconic. It's iconic. You know, that is an iconic level superhero movie scene that you think about that they have, you know, fan cuts of that they re-edit YouTube movies to. Like, there's a lot of fanfare, I think, with this introduction. And I think it really does capture the speed powers in a fun and cool way that. And it's because, A, I think Evan Peters is having a good time, but so is is Peter, right? Like he is, this is his, he loves his powers. Like this is 
awesome to him. And he's like, oh, well, I'll just fix everything here. No problem. Let me just. And he's like, he does it all in stride. Like, this is um, why they brought him along. It's like you, this tension happens. And it's like, oh, yeah, this kid that we, we just met, he's going to take care of everything here. No problem. Like, ugh, so good. And and the fact that it's in this little room in the, in the kitchen um, has like a finiteness to it um, that is great. But obviously later on, which we'll eventually talk about probably with apocalypse, they, they, they double down. <laughs> They're like this, everyone love this. We got to do it again. <laughs> it, yeah. That is a little bit, you know, I'm, I'm less happy about that, but I, I think they do, they use a the character. Well, they give him great characterization and it, I'm so glad that we're going to see more of this going forward in WandaVision. So make sure you're following that podcast as well. Um, because, you know, I, I mean, it. I don't know. Jeez, we're very they, lucky ooh, to have everything gonna get coming a sequence out. like that in WandaVision. We're definitely going to get something fun with his speed powers. Ooh, I'm, I'm I, calling it now. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, they they gotta they gotta use them. They definitely gotta use them, and they know that we want that. We we want that kind of music scene. And I think that was such a great part of using that character is that like, oh, he's a big music fan. Yeah. You know, so let's set these awesome sequences to a great song that is going to enhance the scene, not take away, add comedy, but not make it stupid. Um, and they also it's like more tactile, right? Like he's he's got his goggles. He's got the headphones. He like he has to hold uh, Magneto's head so he doesn't get whiplash. Like there's like consequences to this and and you can see everything uh, the way they plotted it out it's a, in a very real way um, very strategic yeah. and you know i think it, he's much more memorable than like you didn't see that coming from this like very high-spoken you know big american actor <laughs> speaking in this weird accent no he's actually he's british are we british yeah um anyway uh i'm a big fan of the sequence it's weird that he's not in the rest of the movie um I think yeah. he would have fit in really great with the rest of the plot. Uh, I don't understand why they leave him well, away. I think because I think they show here like how how his powers are are really uh, are effective, and that like it, it would have changed the entire plot if he's along for the ride. And, and that's I think one thing that they realized. Um, and uh, had to adjust for in the other films that he he's a part of, because if he's if he's active, he he's a threat, <laughs> um, right? And so you you, you sideline him, and then he's not uh, he can't he doesn't mess with the plot that they're trying to go for. Because yeah, I mean, obviously, what what they do tease is that he like. Oh, that the the history of him that Magneto's his father, right? It's like, oh, my mom used to know a guy that could do that with metal, like. But Chef's Kiss, perfect, oh, great, great little nod. But oh, they never fully go there. It's <laughs> just yeah. frustrating. But I guess like, what if he was up against Magneto? Like, would he have succeeded? Maybe, maybe he would have been able to stop him. I don't know. But then you don't have that iconic um, scene with. Charles and Mystique and they're they're it's the trilogy of them like that's the they're the the core characters here so right all right so we're coming up on a lot of time here I think 
there's anything we didn't cover um i think the climactic sequence of the two battles happening simultaneously in kind of two different outcomes is very successful and yeah. I, I think that once you get over the middle 30 to 45 minutes of this movie the ending sequences are are really spectacular yeah and, and avengers avengers level good and and they have it rising and falling at the same time which is cool my my only gripe with it is that we uh when magneto sends wolverine into the the lake with with the metal bars in his body and like he's there what feels like 15 minutes of of screen time right he's he's out of commission but we're still watching the events unfold in real time. So mm. it's like, okay, so she's just holding his his mind there as everything else is happening, waiting for it to change, like the timeline to change. And that's a little bit weird. It's like maybe if they didn't sideline Wolverine so early, it would have worked a little bit better. But that's right. my only gripe. No, that's pretty fair, man. I, I, I agree with you. I think that, you know, it's it's questionable. Um, obviously, nobody wants to see you know Professor X, you know, bite the big one. Right. Um, oh man, those metal bars into oh, it's so brutal. Ugh. Yeah, that's really intense. Yeah, that was that was crazy. I, I think that's like the best that they could have done because like there's that iconic scene in the comics when Magneto rips out the adamantium. Like they could never do that on screen without it being rated R. So like this is kinda, no, that would probably be bad. <laughs> this is like the best that they could do to make it really brutal for Wolverine. Um, what do you think is the most memorable aspect of this movie? I feel like. I, I really love seeing the dystopian future uh, because it it pays off in the end when everything is resolved. Um, I, I think the memorable aspect is having um, the the older players, I mean, specifically Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen. Like Storm doesn't do that much. Wolverine is central to the plot, so like that's great. Um, but just having the old team there. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's probably the best. And then you know the the Quicksilver scene is is great and iconic too. What about you? I think it's how at this point we kind of knew that it wasn't possible for Wolverine to join the Avengers, and that this was going to be kind of the greatest level coming together of all the X Men that we love. And that this is their attempt to kind of do that for us in a way that fits within the context of the story of the characters and a classic comic book story and the ability to have these great players come back and, and really bring it. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, it's not like they brought, you know, Michael Keaton back into the Brandon Ralph movie. You know what I mean? Like they did a really nice job of saying, okay, like we've had all these guys together. We have these new dudes. We know we have to go in a different direction. Before we do that, we have to do this, and we have to bring you back in and bring you back into the investment of love of the franchise, or else it's not going to work. Yeah. And this movie definitely, I think, does that in a, in a great way. Uh, I love the look of the Sentinels in the future. I don't love them in the 70s. Again, like I, I don't think that totally fits. 
Huh. Uh, I don't love the look in the future, actually. Maybe I'm like, I like the the shitty look of the comics <laughs> in the in the in the. Okay, uh, yeah, the, the 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 specific heads. Yeah, I think they're just a little too. I don't know what it is about them. They just um, they don't have any personality, which I guess they're not supposed to. But it's just they just feel like they just feel like Terminators, like a bunch of fucking Terminators. <laughs> yeah, fucking a. Um, and that, but they are super threatening, and all the scenes with them, of like them adapting, is like crazy. Um, so yeah, and it's and it's very sad at the end to see all these people dying and like oh fucking uh, Magneto getting stabbed and uh, Storm. Like obviously it's it's horrible, but we know it's not gonna last. Yeah, and that is something that with this movie, I think you kind of get is because it's set in this different universe. That, like the stakes are kind of different for this movie as a standalone. Yeah. You know, where like somebody like Shayna could probably walk into this movie and kind of know who everybody is and, and be okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and, and that's a very powerful thing. And to have that mass appeal, to have that, you know, great ride with all of our favorites is, is valuable. Yeah. And it, it's one the, the the great thing about this one is that they're they're taking us through the ride, and it's not. And this is something that you know MCU sometimes is at a fault for, looking too far ahead in the horizon. Right? They're they only tease right. apocalypse at the very end, but they're not like planting a million seeds. They're focused. I on agree this with story. you. Right? We're not trying a Disney Plus series and three new heroes. Like we're literally like bringing in the important people and we're making it work for what this is. Yeah. Yep. Well, all right, man. So listen, folks, we know that this has been an interesting episode. If you haven't seen days of future past recently, maybe you have more information you'd like us to double back on. Please let us know. We will be happy to mention on an upcoming episode. Uh, until that time, uh, this has been the Long Lost Heroes podcast. Before I take us out any further, I'm going to throw it back over to Mr. Frank Marsilio. Any other final thoughts, my friend? No, I uh, I really love this one. Um, it's it's kind of sad that it's a peak and that things kind of go downhill from here, at least for the main storyline. We do have some other good ex- highlights, uh, right? Yeah. Fox movies, but um but yeah, uh, it'll be interesting because I and this is the reason why we covered it. I think this movie, uh, in its timeline and multiverse bendiness, may come into play into the future with the MCU, and uh, we want to refresh our memory because it's fun and it's a good movie. I could not have said it better myself. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to follow the podcast, you can subscribe directly, you know, to your computer or through Stitcher or through Apple or through Spotify or through Google, whatever you choose. You can send us an email at info at LL, excuse me, info at longlostheroes.net. You can visit our website, www.longlostheroes.net. You can follow us at all the socials at LLH podcasts. I'm AJ. And I'm Frank. Have a great week, everybody. Bye. Bye.